Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, so Daniel chapter 10 is where we're picking up tonight. And the title of this one is Angels and Demons, The Battle in the Unseen World. Is that a mouthful right there or what? Because we're going to be taken on a ride tonight in Daniel's life. Now, let me begin by saying this because you guys all know I say it so many times. I'm a movie guy, okay? And I can't help myself, but I just am. So 24 years ago, I cannot even believe I'm saying it's been 24 years since this movie came out. And if you've never seen it, I've given you time, okay? So now I have to ruin it for you. But I'm the type of guy that looks at symbolism in movies. Anybody do that too? I always look for it. And so the movie The Matrix, how many of you have seen The Matrix, the original Matrix? Good, okay, good. So when I first saw the movie 24 years ago, and I have probably seen that movie, I would figure 20 times in the last... 24 years of my life. But if you've never seen the movie, let me just tell you a little bit about this because this whole concept of the movie is this guy, Neo, and Neo means new. And Neo is stuck in the matrix. He thinks that's the real world. It's not the real world. And there are these other characters in this movie. You have uh, Cypher, who's the Judas character because he's the betrayer. You have Morpheus, Morpheus transformation. You have Trinity, Trinity, we know the Trinity, you have the Holy Spirit, you have things like that. And then so they're and so and they're all and then you have Agent Smith. He's like the devil character, and his other agents with them, they're like the demons. And so you see all this typology, and, and, I, and I'm thinking, they stole the script, right? And, and so they disconnect Neo from the Matrix because he takes the blue pill? Which one is? I, can't, I always get him confused. But he, he's disconnected from the Matrix, and now his eyes are opened to see what is real. He has a whole different view. So he is a picture of Christians coming to faith in in Jesus Christ. But he's not just that, because there comes this moment at the end of the movie where he's in a battle with Agent Smith, the devil, and they shoot those bullets at him, remember, and they just, they kill him. And you think it's over, but you know it can't be over, right? And he resurrects and he comes back to life. And everybody's in shock that he really is what's called the one. He is the savior of the, of, to help people. And he resurrects and he destroys the agent Smith. And now the last part of the first movie is now he sets himself on a course to free people, to disconnect them from the matrix so they can see the truth of what really is and be free and not live in a world controlled by the agent Smith, by the the demonic. And I just love the whole concept of the movie because it is just so much, in my opinion, biblical typology. And I feel like they stole the script. Now, in one real sense, you and I have been disconnected from the matrix. We have been disconnected from the world. Do you remember when your eyes fully opened up for the first time? Do you remember when you got saved and you looked at life so differently? I mean, I remember it. I mean, my conversion was a conversion in a moment of time. My life was changed. I I can't explain it any other way. But it just transformed in a moment. So tonight, when we saw clear, tonight what we're going to be able to see is into this spiritual world where in this world of the matrix, God's going to pull the curtain back uh, for Daniel and he's going to see this real world. He's going to see behind the scenes of what's really going on in the spiritual realm. He's going to allow you and I to look into the spiritual realm and to see what's going on in life or outside of our physical realm to see the real deal of everything. So you guys ready for that one right there? Because that's where we're going tonight in the first half of, of Daniel um, of Daniel chapter no we're covering all of Daniel chapter 10 so here we go verse 1 in the third year of Cyrus king of Persia a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar and the message was true and one of great conflict but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision now look up when he says in the third year of Cyrus Remember, Cyrus and the Persians conquered the Babylonians. Do you remember that? They went through the water, remember? Through underneath the city. Now, that's 539 B.C. In the third year then of Cyrus, this conqueror, that would make it 536 B.C. Now, Cyrus is the one. 
after he takes over, he, he allows 50,000, more or less 50,000 Jews to go back home. If you read Ezra 2 and added up all the numbers, you would find that it's around 50,000 people. So we always state 50,000 people. Now, they're going back. Daniel at the moment, when it's 536 BC, he's about, he doesn't go back. And the probability is, because he's like 80 years old, you know, or maybe he's just too old, maybe he's sick, or maybe he's too important for the kingdom of Persia. We don't know why, but can you imagine? He has been there since he's, say, 15 years old. And he sees 50,000 of his countrymen heading back home to Jerusalem. How would you feel? What would you be thinking if you're staying here and they're going back to the homeland? a place that you haven't seen in a long, long time, a home that you were taken away from as a young child, as a teenage kid. I think he'd be feeling all kinds of emotions as he's watching all this happen. Now, the specifics of verse 1, looking back at verse 1, it says here that, uh, that he's getting this message that was true, but the message was one of great conflict, but he understood the message, and he had an understanding of the vision. Oh, so he's going, so these people are going home. He gets this vision. He's understanding it, but he understands that it's, but the vision is one of great conflict. Probably meaning this, that as they're heading home, he knows that possibly in their future, but for sure in the future of the nation of Israel, there's going to be a lot of war and a lot of bloodshed in the future of Israel. He's probably understanding that much of it right there. And he's watching the people go home. So Daniel is perplexed. He's wondering what in the world does it fully mean? He wants to know like you and I would want to know. So he turns to God for more clarity. Look back at verse 1. What is the name he gives himself in verse 1 again? The name Belteshazzar. Do you remember that name? It's like that's the name that uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave him. Way back chapter 1, if we went back way to the beginning. So it's almost like Daniel is saying, Hey guys, I know we've traveled far in this scroll. I know I'm older now, but I am, I am, it's like he's telling us, whoever would read in the future, I'm the same guy way back in chapter 1. I'm that Daniel. I'm Belteshazzar. So you know who exactly I am. Now, can I give you a sidebar on this that I think is very interesting? Yes or no? Oh, you better say yes, I'm going to tell you. Now, Daniel does not go back to Jerusalem with, with all the, the, the remnant. He doesn't go back. That's a very important statement. That's a very important piece of knowledge. Because do you remember that we have stated multiple times over the, the months we've been in Daniel that there are many skeptic scholars who think that Daniel wrote this scroll three to four hundred years later after the fact, because he could not have gotten all these prophecies that you and I have studied. He couldn't have gotten that right. He's so specific. So they have to try to make up a lie that, oh no, he had to have been further, way down further in his future. But here's the thing. Did Daniel go back with the remnant to Jerusalem? The answer is what? No. So he's never been back to Jerusalem. He wouldn't even know, let's say if he did live 300 years later, he wouldn't even know anything about Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Remember that guy who destroys and defiles the temple? He wouldn't know that. He wouldn't know any of these things. But he, he lived way back here. And so he doesn't go back to Jerusalem. So it gives great credibility to the fact that this was God inspiring him. This was the Spirit of God giving him the future of Israel, of nations, of planet Earth because he doesn't go back and he's not part of the Maccabees. He's not part of Antiochus. He's not part of any of these things. Now, let's read on. Verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. So he's in a sad state for 21 days. I did not eat any tasty food, nor, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth. Nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks completed. Now, they would rub ointment on their skin because they're outdoors. It's hot to refresh themselves. That's something they did. He didn't even do that. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, say first month, while I was living by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Now, how long has he been praying and fasting for? Three weeks. Good. What month is it? 
the first, which is the month Nisan. We also know it's the 24th day of the month Nisan. We know Nisan would be like our April. It's like March, April. But our April, if it's the 24th of April, that means that Passover has just ended. That means the festival, this really high point for the Jews where they're celebrating the Passover of their deliverance for the, from the nation uh, of Egypt at that time. Deliverance from slavery. And so we find Daniel, who should be in a joyous time. Is he? No, he's in a sad time. He's in a mourning time. So it's a real contradiction here. Why is he mourning when the season calls for rejoicing for our deliverance from the, from, from, from the Egyptian bondage, you know, years before? Now, can I give you a possibility of why he's mourning, why he's sad? I think it's possible because he is already getting reports that it's not going good for the people that have gone back home as they try to rebuild the temple. Because the temple, they stopped them from building the temple for a while. Because the lie goes back, remember, in the days of Ezra, also in the days of Nehemiah, remember the, the, the repeat lie, remember two weeks, three weeks ago, the repeat lie that you're doing this to um, rebel against the king. Anyone remember that whatsoever? The repeat lie, okay, good. A couple of you remember that, good. So my teaching is improving. No, I'm just joking. Here we go. So that's a possibility. Now, verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. It's just loud, man. Now, uh, where am I? Where, verse 6. His body also was like... Oh, no, I read that already, didn't I? Okay, good. I got a little excited. No, no, I want to stop right now. Don't push me, okay? Okay, so he's standing at the great river, the, the Tigris, right? And he sees this guy. The guy's like glowing, right? And, you know, you look at the description, the appearance of lightning. His eyes are like flaming torches. I mean, gleaming like polished bronze. And the words are just boom. They're just booming, booming loud. Who does it sound like? It sounds like Jesus Christ. Now, it's, I don't think I put it in your notes, but I thought, you know, maybe I should show it to you. So keep a mark right here. Turn to Revelation, because in Revelation, we find the only, and it's the only New Testament resurrection description, chapter 1, only New Testament resurrection description of Jesus Christ. It's the only description of it, after the resurrection. Now, when you're in Revelation 1, say, I'm there. Okay. It says in verse 12, I'm going to read 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to, his, to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Do you see similarity between Daniel, the man coming up to Daniel, and the post-resurrection description of Jesus Christ to John? So you can go back now, go back to Daniel. So that's why for me, I really believe that in Daniel 10, this person that approaches him, and there's multiple people who are going to approach Daniel in this chapter. This is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. Remember, pre-incarnate, carnate, carne, meat, okay? Pre-meat, pre-taking flesh. Pre-before he come, this is, this is before he ever came and saved us from our sins. So this is a, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. So let's read on, verse 7. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, 
a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. That's really interesting. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. So all the melanin baby basically leaves his body. And I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. He sees it. Do his companions see it? They don't see it. They sense it, right? And when they sense it, they go running, don't they? But he stays right there because he actually sees it. Does this remind you of any other experience, New Testament? It should remind you of Paul, right? Remember when Paul has the experience? And he makes the statement, he says, you know, that I heard the voice, but everybody else heard it too, but I'm the only one that understood the voice. The rest didn't understand it. They didn't know what was going on. But I understood it. And so you see the same experience with Daniel here. He's having this experience, this vision. Everybody else knows something's going on, but they don't know what's going on. Paul saw before Paul, on the road to Damascus, he has the light flash from heaven, and he hears the voice and he understands it, Everybody else knows there's a light flash, but they hear something, but they don't know exactly what's going on. They don't know what it's saying. So you see the same experience he's having as, um, as, as, uh, as Paul had. Now verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now this person, whoever this is, now verse 10 the hand touches him, look, and sets him trembling on his hands and knees. Now, this person is not the pre-incarnate Christ. This is another person. And the reason why I say that is because when we get to verse 13, verse 13 will tell you that this person would never be Jesus because this person is trying to battle with the demon and, and, and it's kind of a stalemate and Jesus would never have a stalemate battle with a demon, would he? Jesus always said, uh, come out of him now, okay? It was just that fast, and it was just that simple. So this is a different, different being right here. Because Daniel's entering into this spiritual realm that's going to be revealed to us. Now, verse 11. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, don't forget that statement, understanding the words that I'm about to tell you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come in response to your words. Now, this person, this being, this angel now, is going to unveil, it's going to unveil the prophecy of chapters 10, 11 and 12, which we'll get to in coming weeks. Bullet point first in your notes, here we go. When believers pray, God hears immediately. When believers pray, God hears immediately. He says to him in verse 12, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself, you were what? You were heard, right? So the moment you pray as a believer, your prayer is heard. Now hold that thought because there's other things that go with that truth, okay? You just can't take that one and say, that's it, there, there it is. No, there's more you got to take with it. Now notice in verse 12, there is a key phrase concerning Daniel's disposition in his prayer situation. And that is what? He what? He humbled himself. The moment you humbled yourself, you wanted to know what's going on. That's a big deal, I think. Because has Daniel held high positions in his life? Has he walked with kings? Yes, he has. He's held all these high positions, walked with kings, and yet you find that he kept the disposition of a very humble person. Peter would tell us in the New Testament, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and you will be exalted at the proper time. 
at the proper time. So humility is very important in our relationship to God. Another bullet point in your notes, and that's this next bullet point. The moment Daniel began his prayer and fast, the unseen world responded. The unseen world responded. The angelic being responds to Daniel's prayer. The unseen enters into the scene. The spiritual enters into the physical. That tells us that our world is not a closed system. God can enter into the system, and he does anytime he wants to. Now, this is where everything gets, in my mind, if I'm Daniel, wild. Because he's going to hear some things, and he's going to be given understanding of things that you and I need to understand. Now watch this, verse 13. This is where we're going to camp for a while. But the, how many days ago did Daniel pray? Three weeks. Three weeks. So three weeks ago he made the prayer. Was he heard immediately? Yes, he was. Did the answer come the first day he prayed it? No. 21 days go by. Okay, that's very important. Verse 13. The angel finally arrives in 21 days, but notice in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for... 21 days. So a battle was raging the moment Daniel prayed. Then behold, Michael, one of the, say chief, chief princes came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings, kings of Persia. Now that's a very interesting event that Daniel has just given. So now God pulls back the curtain that Daniel gets to see into the spiritual realm and he gives it to us too. I remember, um, I mean, how many of you just curious, um, some of you I know were in it, how many remember back in the 80s, ever see the play that I was in way back in the 80s? Raise your hand. Dave, you saw the play that I was in way back when? You saw it back then? Okay. Okay, I, I played Jesus. Steve, you were in it. In fact, you were Barabbas one year, weren't you? You're always a bad guy. But anyway, um, I gave my life for you every time. Everybody. So I played Jesus in this play. And by the way, people have asked me now in my 60s, would you ever consider playing Jesus? I go, Jimmy's never going to wear that diaper on a cross again, okay? <laughs> Those files are locked up and closed. For good. That's just not happening. And I already did it like 250 times. That's enough now. I did it the whole decade of the 80s. But one of the coolest moments that I, I'll never forget, because I don't know if you could tell, but I like being on stage. Can anybody tell that? <laughs> people tell me I'm a frustrated actor, and I'm, you know, and maybe I am but I, I, I just I enjoy it. But I can remember, man, being at the op- you know, opening night every year, and then every, the curtain's closed, and you know the, the place is packed, and you're standing behind the curtain, and you're just waiting for that cur- curtain to open, and just the anticipation, the excitement of being back there, waiting to show them all this stuff, all the, all the events in Jesus' life, and they're out there waiting for the curtain to open. I just, lo- I mean, I loved it. And it went, you know, those 11 years of doing that just went by so fast, but I just loved doing it. But that curtain would open, and one of my favorite scenes that um, was the demon-possessed boy scene was just awesome. It was the opener just to blow people away in the audience, just to, just to scare them out of their minds, you know. And I love stuff like that, that shock. But anyway, the curtain opens. For Daniel, the curtain is opening right now. For us... The curtain is open. We get to see what's going on. There's a prince of Persia. Meaning, there's a demon who has authority and control over the empire of Persia. Remember, Daniel is now operating under Cyrus. Remember that? Cyrus is the king of Persia. And now we have princes, prince and We have kings, uh, a prince over the kingdom of Persia. God sends a messenger. God sends an angel to answer Daniel's prayer. 21 days ago, Daniel prays the prayer. 21 days go by. There's no answer yet because the angel that was dispatched here when Daniel prayed, he comes to answer, but he's met. He's encountered by a demonic power, a prince of Persia. And now the battle is raging in the spiritual realm. And this battle is going on for 21 days. 21 days. 
battles that you and I do not see, but they are raging. Until it says that Michael, the chief prince, he comes and he takes over the battle. And we know Michael to be an archangel, do we not? And we'll see more of him in these last so many chapters. He takes over the battle with the prince of Persia, this demonic entity, demon, that has control and power over the empire of Persia. And the battle is raging. Now, I want to share... I'm going to share. Observations in your notes, okay? Write this down. Bullet point. Some, not all rulers, are demonically inspired. I didn't say possessed. I said inspired. Some, not all rulers, are demonically inspired. Now, I personally do believe they're all demonically inspired. And there's a reason why I believe that. Biblical, not just I I feel it. So here we find Satan motivating behind the scenes in the invisible. Follow? Okay. And he's motivating, and he's got fort—it's called fortresses and strongholds in the spiritual realm over nations. Understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, something happened in the entire universe. Did you, you understand that? Because when sin came in, sin allowed Satan to come in because Adam basically handed the universe over, including all of this earth, everything. He handed it over. It says in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It doesn't say part of it. It doesn't say a tenth of it. It says all of it. And you and I, we are like Neo in the Matrix We've been disconnected from that demonic matrix. Our eyes have been opened, and we see, and we see very clearly. But we also, in our seeing, if we're honest, we see a world that's so demonically controlled. Would you say amen to that one? It's very much demonically controlled. And as church people, we, Peter calls us, strangers and aliens in this world. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you just don't fit here anymore? I, f- I feel like that so many times a week. You know, I, 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 just, I just feel that way. I, I don't fit here. This world's driving me nuts looking at it, you know? And so we here are called, as the church, the ecclesia, we're pulling people out of the matrix one person at a time. At least we should be, right? That's what our calling is to do. Because they are blind inside this demonic stronghold of the thing that we call earth right now. Now, <clears throat> now when you understand that, I want you to think now world view. Every so often you'll hear me or a preacher talk about your world view. Your world view is very important because your world view is going to be um, your lenses through which you interpret all of reality, everything, through your world view. Your worldview is like, how many like to work with puzzles? You work with puzzles? Okay. Oh, God bless you, man. Oh, those are driving me nuts, too. But it's like you're trying to put puzzles, but you need the box, right? You need to see the picture. Your worldview is the box. You have to have that picture. Otherwise, you will not put the pieces in the right place because you won't know what it looks like. And so when you come to Christ and your eyes are open and you're pulled away from the matrix, disconnected, your eyes are open now, and now you have the box. And now you can see what should be, biblically, how people should live versus what is going on. Does that make sense? Because now you're understanding. Okay. Now when you look at the world with your biblical worldview, things upset you. And you try not to get upset, and I try not to get upset, but they do upset me. And I try to say when I talk about it with people, I try, I be, um, trust me, I say loving, I stay firm, but I stay very firm, and I'm not backing from my positions. So we look at an upside-down world. And I know 50 years since Roe v. Wade, 50 million babies have been murdered just in America. Is it 60 now, they say? 61. 61 million? Yeah, that many 
in our America, just in our country, and our government gladly gives money to murder babies. Gladly. Our state gladly tells people from other states, come here and we'll give you an abortion here if your state won't let you. You think this is demonically controlled? Look, I love California. I ain't leaving California. I ain't bad-mouthing my state. I don't do that. I mean, I get offended when I see somebody say, oh, Californians are all there. I'm thinking, I'm not like that. You know, why are you saying that about me, man? But, you know, but this is the reality uh, of our country. And we we look and we realize now as we understand. Now, when you have the proper worldview, you understand now that there are fortresses and strongholds. Now it makes sense that people don't know if they're a man or a woman, right? Right? They just don't know. They're confused now because everything's upside down. Everything. Because you see, once Adam said, okay, and Eve said, okay, you'll be a God. You call the shots. You get to be what you want. Okay, I'm going to recreate my personal image, and I'm going to take fig leaves on and recreate a new image because the image of God is not good enough. I'm going to reject that. Does that make sense? That's the root problem of what you see but it's because it's a demonically controlled world it drives me crazy when I hear that in some not all but they're moving that way some of these school boards are okay with teaching these children age five and six that's that you know it's maybe you are a boy not a girl maybe you are it just drives me are you kidding me have you ever said yourself like I've said at what point did we become insane Well, it's not so much insane, well, it is, but it's because there are fortresses and strongholds demonically over areas, and you're seeing it more and more right now. I mean, they just passed this one bill in California that it said, Bill 957, if you don't affirm your child's transgender wishes, they can take your kid away from you in our state, in our state. And they pass that unanimously. If you've read where you read it, where parents stand up against school boards, they don't want this, what are they, and they, they label those parents domestic terrorists. T- this is what communist nations do. They take away the parent's power because they want to control the mind of the child. Because they know if they can control the mind, the next generation will think like that. Have you ever understood that? Abraham Lincoln knew it. What's taught in the schoolhouse in one generation will be in the White House next generation. That's what he said. Lincoln said that. He was a brilliant statement. But you see how things are demonically controlled. Now, okay, I got to keep it. I can't stand June anymore. I really don't like June. It's Pride Month. Everything I turn on TV... I wouldn't want my kids to watch that. I wouldn't want my kids seeing it. It's just like it's everywhere. It's every okay. Look. It's the commercials. I, I can't ask my wife, HGTV, home house hunters, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know, and I like house hunters. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Now let me give you the other side. So we don't, I don't send you off just angry, okay? Because I'm pretty good at that. I, I, I don't know, I just get real passionate about stuff, you know, I'm just... All this LGBTQ stuff, I disagree with it completely. And I will disagree with it completely. I'll never change my stance because I'm a biblical person. But let me give you the balance to all that. I will defend a person's right to choose stuff. But please wait till you're 21. Don't send a 5 and 6 and a 7 and 8 and 9 and 11-year-old kid and tell them this stuff. Don't do that to them. Don't do that to them. What kills me is they say, trust the science. No, only trust it if it fits your agenda. Because science, psychology, already has admitted, studied many times, that the brain of a person is not fully developed till it's like 21, 22 years old. But you're pushing this decision on kids. Five, six, and mutilation surgery by 11, 12, 13. That's what they're doing. See, 
Look, you're 21. I will, I, will, I will defend your freedom and your right. You're 21. If you want to make that mistake and change your gender, look, I don't agree with it, but at 20, I'll defend your freedom. I won't defend all freedoms. Some freedoms are sinful, but, but I will defend it. But here's what gets me. And I was thinking about this. I don't know if I've shared this before, but I thought about it. I think during Pride Month, I was just good to hear it. I don't know what it was. And... Um, because it's in your face all the time, isn't it? I mean, it's all the time in your face. And the whole thing about it is this, that they are forcing, forcing us to affirm them. Are, are they not? Okay, think about this. Think about this in case you ever get in a debate. Because I had thought, I go, huh, I just thought, it just popped in my mind. Why do they, if they're so secure in their decision to be a homosexual or transgender, why do they need my affirmation? I'm not, I'm not walking around saying I need a I'm a guy month. <laughs> right? I don't need you to affirm. I, I kind of know. I'm pretty secure about that. I don't need you to put posters up and force everyone to say, Jim's a guy, Jim's a guy. Oh, good, I feel better about my life now. No, I know I'm a guy. But they have to have, they are forcing our affirmation because they're insecure in their stance. If they were secure, they would never force it. They would never try to pour it down our throats if they were secure. That's evidence to me that they're very insecure in their stance and what they believe about what they're trying to push in their own life. So all that to say, I don't know how you feel about everything I said, but I feel better. Let me, I'm going to, bye, I'm going to go. No, I'm just joking. No. no. All that to say is the world is demonically controlled. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. Because Daniel, the curtain's been pulled back, and he gets to see. And he gets to see. But we also get to see what our prayers do, huh? Our prayers are a battle in the spiritual realm. Now, bullet point. Let's move on here. Bullet point. Some will mock us for believing in an unseen world of God, angels, and demons. Some will mock us. Oh, you believe in God, angels, and demons? Okay, here's one. They mock us, right? You believe in that? Okay. You ever, they say, oh, scientists, uh, they, 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 they believe there's life on other planets. Any evidence of that? No, no. Oh, scientists, they say, there's many universes, and we just happen to be in the right one that, for life, and this is how it all happened. Any evidence of that? Okay. I'm listening to Bill Nye uh, talk, debate with uh, Answers in Genesis uh, guy um, back in Kentucky, Ken Ham. And, and then I'm Richard Dawkins, the atheist from England. He's like the foremost atheist. And I've heard them state that, where, because Ken Ham asked them hard questions, so do others, that uh, the probability, and it's very interesting and compelling, and this, these guys saying this, these atheists saying, that our, where we came from is we were seeded by aliens from another planet, and they seeded our planet. And I remember Ken Ham asking Bill Nye, the science guy, saying, and that's not as wild as believing there's a God and angels and demons? Oh, no, and he's giving his rationale why I'm thinking, really? Really? But they mock us for God, angels, and demons, and they give us this wild thing. If anyone ever tells you that we were seeded by aliens from another planet now remember take into consideration that the universe had a beginning remember that one right there then you ask that person okay who made the aliens <laughs> somebody had started somewhere who made that so you can't get out of this deity question somewhere there's something out there that created all these things so always use your logic when, when you're going through this now as far as the unseen world goes Jesus affirmed it multiple times. Remember that one time when they're coming to arrest him in the garden? They go, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. They all fall down. Remember that? And then Peter takes the knife out and slices the ear off the guy, right? And Jesus puts the ear back on because if he didn't, it would be Peter up on the cross. And so he delivers him. Never forget that, okay? And so what does Jesus tell the guy? He goes, hey guys, stop. Don't you know that I can talk to my father? And I can call down, anybody remember? 12 legions of angels. A legion is about 6,000, so it just means a lot, okay? 
In other words, he says, I can call from the spiritual realm into the physical realm, and we can deal with this in a half second, right? It'd be over. Jesus is telling you there is a spiritual world. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that he who descended from heaven, meaning himself, he's saying, I came from another realm, and I'm going back to that realm. He's telling you there's a different dimension. There is a heaven. There is a spiritual realm. But the world will mock us for those things and come up with their insane, unprovable ideas. But it sounds sane to them. And they stay with it because they have to stay with their materialistic, naturalistic, evolutionary worldview. You follow me on that? They cannot veer from that because to veer from that, they're going to have to go into a spiritual explanation. Now, next bullet point in your notes. I've got to drive it home now. Nothing can hinder our prayers from being heard, but something can hinder our prayers from being answered. Remember, his prayers were heard the moment he prayed. Your hairs, your hairs, your prayers are heard the moment you pray. But something can hinder them from being answered. In this text, what we see, he prays. The angel is dispatched to come and answer the prayer. But he's, he's met by the prince of Persia, a demonic entity. And There comes the hindrance right there. It's like the spiritual, remember the thriller in Manila, older people? That's what it is right there, man. It's the rumble in the jungle in the spiritual realm. Understand that spiritual warfare is raging all the time. It's always happening. Whenever you pray, there is spiritual warfare going on in this different dimension. Now, remember, Michael is called the chief uh, prince. He's the archangel. You asked me earlier, I think, Steve Felix, about rank of angels. He's an archangel. These Here is a demonic uh, prince of Persia. There's rankings. You see these terms in there, the ranking of angels. So there are those things right there. Okay, verse 14. Now I have come to, he keeps talking to Daniel. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people, that's the Jews, in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. He's telling you, this is about the future again, Daniel. This is what I've come to explain. And he's going to explain it in chapters 11 and in chapters 12. So he's going to get into great detail about Israel's future in those two chapters as we continue in the book. Verse 15 through 19 says, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. I would too. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, As a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my my Lord? I mean, how can I be talking to you? As, As for me, there remains just no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem. That's what he's telling Daniel. O man of high esteem. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Does Daniel feel unworthy? He feels very unworthy. What does the angel remind Daniel of when Daniel's feeling unworthy? What does he tell him? He says, Verse 19, the very beginning. O man of high esteem. Did you catch that? I'm unworthy. O man of high esteem. What's he giving Daniel? Value. What does God give you and I? Value. Do you understand your value in God? Question. How do you determine what something's worth? Whatever someone is willing to pay. And Jesus paid the price with his life. So what are you worth? That's the answer to it right there. Oh, man of high esteem. Now, bullet point. Sometimes God gives us strength through the touch of an angel. Sometimes God gives us strength through the touch of an angel. We may not know it. We may not sense it. But sometimes he does. And right here you find it with Daniel. Do you remember 
When Jesus is battling in the desert temptation, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And you remember at the very end of it, it said, the devil left for a more opportune time. The devil will always leave. He's going to come back when he's going to try to get you at another vulnerable time. Never forget that. But it says, after he leaves in that moment, it says that angels came and ministered to Jesus. Did you ever catch that? They came and ministered to him. And the same thing happens with you and I. There we have these ministers, these messenger ministers that minister to us when we need that kind of help. Now, let's drive it home. Verse 20. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. Bullet point. In your notes, overcoming demonic forces is not a one-time event. It's not a one-time event. He leaves, but he's going to go back to do what? To fight. And then is there another fight on the scene after that? Yeah, the, it's the, the prince of Greece. So it's not over. It's always, a demonic, it's always a spiritual battle. But never forget the greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world, right? That you never have to be afraid of the battles. You have these angels in warfare, in your prayers. All this is going on. Now, verse 21. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael. Say the last two words. Your prince. He's the one. The only one who stands with me is Michael. Your prince. Your prince. So Michael has been a guardian over Daniel all this time? And Michael the archangel has been a guardian over Israel all this time? As we will see, he is later in chapter 12. But he's your prince. Okay, let me leave you with, with, with these thoughts. If he's your prince, Daniel, that tells me, as I go back and look at the life of Daniel, who is with Daniel on the lion's den? Michael's your prince. Who was with him in the lion's den? Probably Michael. Your prince, nation of Israel. Maybe he was also there. I'm not saying he was the fourth man, but maybe he was also there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe he was there. He's your prince. And you have, and I have, angelic messengers that are our prince that are our people on our side, on our side. Now let me give you one last thought, um, and, and that'll be it. Um, so there's a spiritual battle raging, in the spirit, and there's a person praying that's causing this battle going on to destroy fortresses and strongholds. Never underestimate your prayers and what they unleash in the spiritual realm. I know for a fact that they prayed for me for five years, I know for a fact, to, just to get saved. Because I was in everything but salvation. I was in all the sin. I just, I didn't want any of this stuff. And the night I got saved, I remember I went to Gallery, which was called Tyler Mall at that time, before we were going to go to church. They were going to drag me to church. I agreed to go. And you guys know the story. They were going to give me a housewarming party. Otherwise, I wouldn't go in anywhere. I was 23. And when I went to the gallery, my sister and one or two other ladies who were prayer warriors, this back part of my parents' house, uh, I had fixed it up and I lived in the back part of it. Well, they got the key for my mom and they went in there while I was gone. And they started praying for two hours in that room. Two hours. This was, they figured, I'm going, he's going to church that night. We're going to prep this. And they, you know, they started anointing. My sister's the type would pour oil on your head. I mean, she's just like that way. They're anointing everything and praying for me and stuff like that. And uh, I have to believe, I have to believe that that night when I went to Melody Land Christian Center, and David Wilkerson was preaching 
hellfire and brimstone. I have to believe that something was jarred loose in the spiritual realm that was holding me in check. And they prayed and they broke that thing. I had no intention of getting saved that night. You've heard me say it so many times. There was no intention of it. I did not plan on it. I didn't say, well, tonight's the night. No. When they gave the altar call, I had no intention of getting saved. To this day, I don't even know why when he said, well, the altar's full. Those of you who haven't come down yet, kneel down right where you're at and raise your right hand. And I just go, boom. I don't even know why. I don't know why I did it to this day. But I know in that moment when I said that prayer, everything changed. My worldview changed. Everything was different. And here I am, a pastor. I thought I was going to be like a rock star. (laughs) And I'm a pastor. And it all, I believe, because there was a spiritual battle raging. But you have loved ones too. You have loved ones too. And you don't give up on them. And you pray and you pray till you break the strongholds. Because it must be broken in the spirit before it's broken in the physical. It has to be that way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word because it really gives us encouragement on how to fight and what battle's raging and, and Lord, what's really going on. It gives us clarity to be able to understand this upside-down world that we're in, why it's, why it's like this. And so, God, I pray that we take what we've learned, we apply, and we operate as spiritual people because the spiritual is the greater reality. Thank you, Lord God, for this study. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.